Hey y'all, welcome back. Part two here on the Saturday, June 18th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Most Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. Uh, Ryan Shempert of Rocky Top Insider on uh, Go Big Orange Friday here to talk all things Tennessee Vols. A uh, lot of good stuff, uh, a lot of basketball, rotation stuff, uh, how uh, the guard depth looks, uh, Tennessee, Texas back on the agenda this time in Knoxville, um, Vic Burley going to Clemson, uh, where the state of a lot of recruiting battles are for uh tennessee at the moment and then just kind of like walking through our feelings a week removed almost from uh the tennessee baseball loss uh last weekend against the um notre dame fighting irish who i believe won today their first game so there you go uh but all great stuff here with ryan on today's edition of the podcast no ethan stone this week hopefully he'll be back next week but uh yeah jam-packed show for you guys today part two uh, coming up with Ryan in just one second. You can watch it and all of our other great video content over on the YouTube page, youtube.com slash chase the podcast. You'll find us there. Uh, like, and subscribe on that front. Read me at sports Make sure you just uh, type in your email and it's that simple. And uh, you'll always get all my written content uh, emailed to you right away. So become a subscriber today if you have not already done so. And uh, if you are an Apple podcast or Spotify listener, make sure you are, uh, you have already left this show a five-star rating and a review on either of those platforms. If you've not already done so, it helps other people find the show and it helps this show continue to grow and more people to find it and all that good stuff. So uh, thank you as always for making the Chase Most Podcast part of your weekly listen. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, yeah, part two with Ryan Chipper coming up in one second. Part three coming up right after that. If you missed part one with Josh Pate of Late Kick live over at 247 Sports, that's also on this feed. So your preferred podcast player, whichever that is, Check them all out. One place, that easy, that simple, whenever you need to listen to the Chase Most Podcast on the Blue Wire Pod Network. We're right there for you. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go. Chase Thomas Podcast. The Chase Thomas Podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Chase Thomas Podcast. Taping this early on a Friday. Go Big Orange Friday is what uh, folks are calling it. A lot of folks are calling it, whether that's at Litton's, whether that's Savelli's. They all know Go Big Orange Friday means Chase Thomas, not Ethan Stone. Not Ethan Stone this week. And... Ryan Shepard of Rocky Top Insider. Ryan, good morning, sir. How are you? Doing well. Just uh, trying to deal with the fact that I'm not in, in Omaha covering a, a Tennessee College World Series game today. I got my 2021 College World Series shirt on to try to to try to keep the vibes good. But no, doing well. A, a lot more free time this week than I anticipated. But all uh, all good over here on this front. I um I've written a lot about it this week. Um, your brother, I think, was one who reached yeah. out to me about it. He liked it. So shout out to the Shumpert family. They're basically my family at this point. Get engaged at Tommy Shumpert Park. Ryan's in the pod. Grant's a fan of the program and the reader. Um, so we're just uh, the Shumperts and the Thomases are becoming one and the same, it seems like. Yeah, no, it was uh, – I, I kind of did a double take when I first saw his tweet responding to it because, like, mm -hmm. I knew he followed you and listened to the podcast some, but I'd never seen him interact with you. And But, no, I mean, his his comments were on, which were basically saying that your comments were on. It, it was a very good piece. I'd encourage anyone to, to check it out. And I was kind of asked uh, – doing a radio hit yesterday, a, qu a question kind of similar to what you were getting at. What, what will you remember about the Tennessee baseball team and what you have to remember – uh, kind of the missed opportunity. Uh, I don't think that's my will be my lasting uh, image of what I remember. You know, getting to watch them play 45 games in person this year. 
uh, certainly a, a special season and, and you got to be able to enjoy the ride. And I think that was kind of one of the big, uh, the cruxes of uh, your piece. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was, I think it's just important to, it's hard to have that perspective on Sunday afternoon after everything happened. Like I went for a run on campus right after, just because I, I was like, all right, I'm frustrated. I And seeing the tweets, like my, I, like the rage tweets I saw where I was like, nope, not getting fired today, not doing this. So uh, it, it was a good reminder of like just social media, how toxic it is um, and just how venomous it was towards Tennessee fans. And I think, look, like I don't, we can't control what other people feel about this program or feel about Vitello or feel about anything else. The crux of the piece was just that, like, I would not change any of that. I don't think Vitello would change any of that. I don't think anyone on this team would change any of that. I don't think this administration, this fan base would change any of that. And I think you had to just be in the building where it's like, it. it we, I'm not certain we'll ever see a Tennessee team that dominant ever again in baseball. Like, I don't know if that will ever happen. And that's something that's super cool to be like, dude, I was in the building for the majority of those games. Like, it's so much more fun like i have so many different memories i have so many different people like i just remember like kids just being like did they hit another one or like kids just being excited about my concho and seeing the my concho jerseys and seeing all these guys just become like superheroes to them in person and i i think that's something if you're not in the building a lot of folks they just craft these narratives about these guys and that was something that i really wanted to hit on it's just how much they hate these people that they don't know these kids that they don't know and um it's embarrassing like I I won't lie there were some really really embarrassing takes that came out of Tennessee's loss on Sunday and I just I found myself extremely grateful for like being able to see what this team was and really just the last two years in person and how incredible this whole lineup was and just going into games where you're like man, it's already over in the second inning. It's over in the top of the first. It's over like <laughs> the 100 and whatever it was. I don't even remember now. Was it like 161 or 141 home runs, giving up 141 runs total, like stuff like yeah. that, where you're like, that's just silly. And being around for that in person and just seeing the domination and the despair on other teams' faces when Tennessee just buries you and buries you and buries you, where you just take it for, you could take it for granted if you, uh, if, if you're not careful. And, I made sure throughout this whole season that I didn't take it for granted. I think a lot of people just thought when you said, oh, they're the best baseball team of all time, college baseball team, whatever. It's like, and I mentioned this in the piece, Gonzaga was written about that a bunch in 2021 where they were just beating the crap out of everybody. The numbers loved them. Everybody loved them. But there was also this understanding that you still have to get a lot of luck to win it all come March. Like Mark Few is still an elite coach that 2021 Gonzaga team is still probably the best team in college basketball they still didn't win it's extremely difficult to run that kind of gauntlet and do that in college baseball is different and I don't think Patello or anyone in this program ever thought because we dominated everybody in the SEC because we did not lose a home series the whole year until the Notre Dame series that we were going to win it all that we were going to be like they're aware that no one's won the uh, College World Series as a number one overall seed since 99. Like, everyone knows that. The last three years now, this, they haven't even gotten out of the Super Regional. So it's like, it's not this unique thing. And they knew what they were fighting against and going against history. And it was, what do you want to just change their perspective and change how they are because it's going to be more difficult and they're going against that? No, it's like, if it happens, awesome. But guess what? They were still a dominant, dominant baseball team. And they still were probably, like, I think 
if you look at all the league awards, like obviously Vitello did something right. He won uh, coach of the year. You look up and down the list, freshman, all Americans, everything, just MVPs everywhere, all SEC players. And I just, I think about all of that and I'm like, no, this is, they, they could be Gonzaga. They could be this best team that just did not win a title, but that's okay because that's baseball. So the crowd who were like, oh, they ate some humble pie also uh, overlooked that that's baseball part of it, which is this is not Alabama situation where when Alabama is the best team in college football, a lot of those peak Alabama teams, you knew that they were going to win the championship because if college football is built that way, where if you are the best and you built your death star, you are going to win the title. Georgia's defense was a death star that could not be beaten. Tennessee in that kind of setup could not have been beaten. Like if this was this baseball team had to set up like uh, college football, then that's how it happens. But college baseball is different, man. You cannot have any letups, any bad weekends ever um, at the right possible time, and that's just what happened. I don't know. I don't. I feel fine about all of it. Where are you at? Yeah, no. I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head on a lot of that, and I'll start with that last point. And this is a very this even takes out the baseball aspect of it because obviously baseball is a game of variance far more than, than really any other sport certainly far more than football but to win it all in football you got to win two games in mm-hmm. the ncaa tournament in the playoff you got to win a minimum of 10 in college yeah. baseball and it can be i guess 12 at the max you can uh, win and win it all so it's just completely different and uh, we've talked about it on here that all these teams, uh, really good teams that have not made it out of the Super Regionals. And I thought that was kind of something that I think all year when the debate of is this Tennessee team the best college baseball team ever was going on, I thought it was so hard to attack it is because so many of the teams that you look at what they did and it's like, wow, that's incredible. That's the resume of the greatest team of all time. They didn't win at all. Rarely mm-hmm. did they win at all. So uh, I think that makes it even more hard to judge because if you're going to be the greatest of all time, you, you have to win at all. And if you look at the, the accolades of those best teams that have ever won at all, it, the accolades are, are a lot less than a lot of teams that uh, didn't win at all. A lot of teams that didn't even make it uh, to the College World Series. And I think that would be one thing that I would add to. Uh, I think certainly, I think for Tennessee fans, it, it would have been a lot easier to to deal with that loss uh, or deal with getting eliminated if it had happened in Omaha, I think making it back to the college world series would have been another great achievement that at the end of the day, neither Tennessee doesn't win at all. You win the SEC regular season, you win the SEC tournament, you make it to Omaha. There's really not anything you can complain about anything that you came up short of the, of the end goal. And that would be true. But I think I would add to, to your point about, you know, everybody that was, was taking the chance to jump on Tennessee, which you know, you knew that was coming. I remember thinking back from March. The moment this, whenever this Tennessee season ends, unless they're they're lifting up the trophy, they're going to be hated on. And I think that's what I would. But they would have been to. hated on even if they won the trophy. And that was something I also mentioned. It's like, do you think people would have just changed their tune and been like, "Well deserved, Tennessee. You proved us all wrong. Great job. Happy for this fan base. No, happy for Vitello. That never would have happened. No, no, it definitely wouldn't have. And I meant more in just so. Everybody. Uh, I mean, Twitter was a complete. Yeah. Everybody, let's come together and let's let's crap on Tennessee. Mm-hmm. And if Tennessee lost in three games in the College World Series championship, played really well, that still would have happened. Yeah. Those people, and this is kind of what you were getting at, saying they would they never would have changed their mind. These people, it didn't matter to them when Tennessee lost. Uh, they mm-hmm. were going to jump on Tennessee whenever they lost. So uh, that that wasn't surprising. I knew it was coming. Uh, I I got my work done uh, on a Sunday night. <laughs> 
scheduled a bunch of tweets for that night and in the morning and then i just deleted twitter off my phone for 24 hours so that that's is, a good thing to do man yeah there's there's nothing there's nothing i need to see kind of like you're saying anything i saw was just gonna gonna make me upset from the, the lack of actual perspective on uh, those, those tweets but hey tennessee rubbed it in a lot of people's faces when they won this year uh, i understand why people wanted to, to rub it back when when they fell in the tournament the best part though is that they're going to be in the mix like that is what i love is that tennessee baseball is so much fun we're getting renovations that's happening um it's a great time to be in knoxville like everything's moving up like tennessee all across the board like on the academic and football calendar basketball calendar the baseball calendar women's basketball calendar women's softball like they're is so much there's just so many reasons for optimism across the board that you just want to be in the mix and as many things as you possibly can be and vitello now hate him or love him he has tennessee in the mix for the foreseeable future like this is not slowing down what we've seen the last two years is the new status quo in tennessee and tennessee made omaha last year with a worse team like tennessee was good last year they were a very good sec team but you saw like how many SEC teams just made the College World Series. Like this is just part of the deal now that Tennessee is going some years, they might be better than others and might be the best team in the SEC and they don't make Omaha. Other years, they're like the fourth best team in the SEC and they go deep in Omaha. Like that's going to be kind of where we're at. And as long as Vitello is running this program, I just, this is not slowing down. We see the recruiting, we see what he's doing in the portal. We see how many guys are coming back um, this upcoming year, and we'll get into that in a second. But I don't know. I think that's the most important thing is you want to have a program where you're certain that we're going to be in the mix for a College World Series appearance every single year. And I think that's just kind of where Vitello has now gotten this program, which is the best part about all of this is that the two years that uh, you and I have both experienced uh, with this revitalization um, is that it's here to stay um, for the foreseeable future. Yeah, well, without a doubt, I kind of have two thoughts on that. The first one, uh, which to me is kind of illustrates how blessed you know t- Tennessee fans are to be able to witness what they just witnessed for the past two years, and that's the fact that you know, I just graduated a couple weeks ago. Four years, I, my first year covering Tennessee was my freshman year, and you know I got that beat, and it would have been February of 2019, and Tennessee baseball was nothing. You know, I I knew. Vitello had been there. This was his second year. They did a little bit better in his first year than they had been uh, the few years before. But no expectations for, you know, if you, at that very moment, if you told me Tennessee made the NCAA tournament two of the next four years, I would have been like, wow, that is absolutely awesome. They made it that first year. The COVID year was obviously the next year. I think that team was plenty talented enough to get to Omaha. I think when you look at the talent level, it was probably somewhere between this year's team in the 2021 team. So to, to have this, the elevation so quickly and uh, Jesse Simonton uh, was on three sports now used to be a quest. He always says uh, a phrase that I think is just really, really smart. The progress isn't always linear. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's you go up and down. It's not uh, building a program. It's not like this, but through five years, Tony Vitello building the program. That's all it's been. It's yeah. all it's been in that. And it naturally will have to take some sort of step back next year. But it probably won't be a big one, and I think Tennessee will be a top ten or a top ten, top five team in preseason. One of the best two or three teams uh, again in the SEC. So uh, that that really is, I think, kind of kind of keeps it in perspective of uh, just just how good this program is, just how how quickly it, it got good. And then the kind of second one, and this is really exactly what you're getting at. 
in a sport, and it's kind of the same way in basketball, probably a little bit different, but basketball and baseball, in an NCAA tournament, anything can happen. It's mm. crazy breaks, it's unpredictable, and it's just about getting as many cracks at it as you can, yeah. having as many talented teams and getting as many runs at it, and eventually it's you think it's going to gonna bounce bounce your way. You're gonna It's going to break your way. The more times you can get there, the more times you can get to a Super Regional, the more times you can get to the College World Series eventually something's going to go your way. And, I mean, you saw that from Mississippi State last year, who mm-hmm. I couldn't tell you how many times they've, they've made it to Omaha in the past 10 years, 15 years, but frequently. And, obviously, they, they've never won a, a national championship in any sport, uh, let alone baseball. And it finally, in a year that they lost, they went two and out getting run ruled in both games in Hoover and had a lot of – didn't have many much momentum going into the NCAA tournament. Things things broke the right way. And to, this is exactly what your, your point was. But with Vitello at the helm, Tennessee is going to be back frequently. They're going to have a lot of really good teams. They're going to have a lot of chances to make it back to the College World Series. They're going to make it back to the College World Series. And if I was a betting man, I'd bet at some point things break their way and they they reach that mountaintop. I would agree. Um, in terms of who comes back, what do you think the lineup, the early lineup looks like? Who do you think? We know Christian Scott's coming back, but outside of that, how do you think the lineup shakes out? Do you think Lawson and Ortega? Is it one of the two come back? Like how how do you see the early twenty twenty three Tennessee lineup looking? Okay, well I'll start with kind of what players I think will stay and go. Mm. Uh, I think Beck and Gilbert definitely gone. Obviously, we know Russell and Lipsius are gone. Uh, I think I put Ortega uh, kind of in the the lean towards thinking he's going to be gone category. Hmm. Uh, I just think with with what he did this past year, to me he was the most underrated player uh, on Tennessee's team, if not the SEC. I thought he was a huge All SEC snub. Uh, I think he'll get selected high enough to go, but again that one's in the not a lock like Gilbert and Beck. And then I would say Stevenson and Lawson are the two that I, I kind of could see going either way. I kind of lean towards thinking they'd be back. Lawson, obviously the interesting one uh, with bringing in the transfer shortstop from Kansas. Uh, I, you know, I'd be shocked if he's not starting court, starting shortstop next year. So well, what does Lawson want to do? Does he want to move over to second base or third base? Uh, I think that's a big question. But you know, when you look at it, I think Blake Burke's going to take that first base spot unless Tennessee can land Tommy White from North Carolina State, which they're in the thick of that one. They're going after him hard, though it does seem like he kind of wants to go back to Florida uh, where you know his home state, I don't know how much Florida State's coaching changed mixes things up there but I think you're gonna have him you're gonna have Christian Moore is gonna factor in there somewhere and to me I think the outfield is where it's more interesting because you do have Kyle Booker back you do like you said you have Christian Scott Jared Dickey who could potentially be a catcher too depending on how things shake out there in the transfer portal and his development but what does uh, Colby Backus uh, uh, junior college transfer from Walter State what does he look yeah. like and then Reese Chapman uh, out from Colorado is one of Tennessee's highest rated commits in this year's class or highest rated signees. Can they keep him out of the draft? Can they get him to school? And if they do, uh, I think he's going to have, he's going to be a guy that's at least going to be competing to to earning a lot of reps and and maybe not a starter from day one, but he's talented enough that I think he's in that Christian Moore, Blake Burke role where even if they're not an everyday starter, they're going to, he's going to find himself getting a lot of the bats and having a lot of opportunities. What do we think is going to happen with Chapman? Do you think he's going to stay in the draft or do you think he's going to be in Tennessee next year? If I would guess, I'd guess he's going to be at Tennessee. Uh, okay. I, that's kind of the the vibes I've gotten uh, from being around it a little bit. But at the same time, you know, anything can happen. Uh, there, like you go back to last year, there were a lot of guys that they felt better about that 
ended up staying in the draft and some guys, Christian Moore and Stevenson being example of guys that uh, they were a little skeptical would make it to school and they did. So it's kind of a, a crap shoot. You never really know, but uh, if I had a gun to my head, I, I would say Chapman makes it a Knoxville. I'm curious what they do with Dickey. Like that's the wild card with where you put yeah. him. And I mean, you just have to have him somewhere. Like the bat is just, he's the best all around hitter. Like he just is like, he works counts. He, it's just so hard to get out. Like Jared Dickey, man, is just going to be a pain for everybody for the foreseeable future. And you just have to have his bat in the lineup every day. And I just, I don't know where you play him. Like that is the, the toughest part for him because I'm not certain he can be an everyday outfielder. Yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, I, I don't, I would question how effective he could, you know, if he's going to be a dominant, uh, you know, a fantastic fielder, but I think he can hold up to it. I mean, I didn't, that's mostly where he was playing. I mean, there was some designated hitter, but that's mostly where he was playing before he got injured. And I didn't think uh, there were any glaring struggles there. Uh, I think it, it's probably different when you get to uh, Hoover or if you make it to the College World Series when you're playing in, in a big ballpark. But at Lindsey Nelson Stadium, where in left field you don't have a ton of ground, I certainly think he can hold hold True. his own. But but you're right. I mean, it is a, it's a massive, massive question of where he fits in because he's going to be in the lineup. Mm. He is. You know, he's a professional hitter. He is as probably complete as a batter as they have in the lineup. Um, but where he ends up, you know, it's it's up in the air. I think some of that depends. You know, they had Paul Skeens, the, the Air Force uh, transfer catcher on campus this week. Did they land him? If not, I you know, I could see it being a pretty uh, tough offseason where they're saying, hey, we need you to do exactly what Evan Russell did last year. And he did a lot of that this year or this past offseason. He's worked at catcher. He got maybe an inning or two this season earlier in the year before he got hurt, but he's certainly not a natural catcher and would be very much in that Evan Russell mold. But I, I do think that's an option if they don't land anybody from the portal. Interesting. Um, I don't think they're going to strike out on like the Air Force kid, the NC State kid, and uh, anyone like the, not that many in a row. I think they'll they'll end up with at least one or two of those guys. So that should be interesting. Smith would be a game changer, and it's like, oh, well, what does that mean for Burke? It's like, well, they'll probably take turns DHing and stuff like that. Like, they'll figure it out. Like, I think that will be fine. I think they'll figure it out. Yeah, I mean, did you Tennessee had like what thirteen guys that would start at most SEC schools yeah. this year when everybody was healthy. It changed. It fluctuated as year went on, but but they figured it out. It's stockpile as much talent as you possibly can, and then figure it out once they're all on campus. Absolutely, uh, Vic Burley. Uh, no surprise, does not end up at Tennessee. He ends up at Clemson. Um, with Burley off the board, who do you think uh, is most the next man up that Tennessee fans should be aware of on the edge? I'd say Shandavi and Bradley. I mean, we talked about those two guys back at the Rocky Top. Rocky Top Palooza, I think that's what it was called. That, that yeah. big recruiting weekend they had uh, back, I think it was that's the same weekend of the SEC tournament. He was on campus then. It, it seems like they have a, a lot of traction there. And then uh, the other guy I'd look out for, and, and he's a little more versatile where he can play in and maybe even beef up and play in the interior and defense line. But Tamari McDonald, uh, the uh, uh, Alabama defense alignment, I believe Phoenix City, uh, he's a guy that Tennessee's in thick on, uh, maybe not – with Bradley, it seems like Tennessee is 1A or 1B. You know, they're right up there at the top. I'm not sure they have quite as much traction with McDonald, but they're in that top group. They they hosted him, uh, I believe, for that Rocky Top Palooza weekend. And then again in March, he announced this week that he's going to come for an official visit for the Kentucky game. And probably the most important thing, it's an Alabama kid who it doesn't seem like Alabama is super hard on. 
And granted, uh, Auburn doesn't have a lot of traction in recruiting ranks right now, and how can they win the Brian Harson situation? I mean, he's in a brutal position to be recruiting in, but Auburn doesn't seem to be in the thick of his recruitment either. So it's an Alabama kid that leaning towards one of the in-state schools, which is always hard to go in there and beat those those two programs out. But it seems like Tennessee, Florida, uh, Michigan State, Penn State, I think in there too with, with official visits announced. So uh, you kind of lean towards looking at proximity. Uh, you would think it would be hard to, to get them to Penn State or Michigan State. So that kind of makes you think that a, a lot of it's going to be a Tennessee or Florida battle. But those are two guys, two top 100 commits that Tennessee's in the thick of four. And I think not getting Burley was a disappointment. But like you said, certainly seem to be turning that way for a while and a spot that Tennessee's recruiting really well, especially when you consider the fact that they already have Caleb Herring, uh, top 80, top 75, whatever he is, whatever site you want to choose defense been committed. There's a lot of really strong pass rushers at Tennessee's in D4. For sure. Uh, Christian Conyer and Jalen Smith both have crystal ball predictions now this week for Tennessee. Who are you more excited about? I'd probably say Christian Conyer, uh, just because I think you look at what Tennessee's recruiting in the defensive backfield has been. It's There's been less, you know, big-name uh, blue-chip targets. And I do think Conyer, if I'm not mistaken, is a high three-star on both mm. sites. But this is a guy that I feel like I've heard this name for a long time now. He's been one of Tennessee's top targets in the defensive backfield. And uh, also, you know, as a, as a Nashville kid, Kentucky's had a lot of success coming into the mid-state in recruiting. Recruiting uh, Nashville, uh, beating out Tennessee for a lot of kids. I mean, you go back to the, the Wade Twins at Summit last year, I believe a receiver, Brown maybe, from uh, one of the inner city Nashville schools. And uh, they've, they've beaten out Tennessee for a lot of guys. I think a little bit of a sweet revenge for Tennessee to go up and go up into the Bluegrass State and potentially beat out Kentucky for a kid that they want really badly. I like it. Um Tennessee basketball getting Texas at home. We were wondering, I think last week, if there would be a big non-conference home game, uh, kind of like Arizona. It's not as big as Arizona, but obviously Tennessee at Texas was one of the most frustrating basketball games uh, last year. That was that was brutal in the ending and us overthinking, like, should Triple J have taken that shot? And um, was that the best shot uh, available uh, for Tennessee? Should that have been the call? But there was a that was a that was a wild game. That was that was intense. So an amazing Tennessee comeback. Zakai Ziegler late was yeah. sensational. But um, Tennessee back uh, against Texas in the Big Twelve uh, SEC Challenge, the Rick Barnes Bowl. Um, what uh, what do you make of Texas coming here? Yeah, I like the matchup. That was kind of my first thought. Is I thought that was a, that was a fun one, a good a good matchup. And it was two programs I think are pretty comparable right now. And I think mm. you look at what they did last year. Pretty comparable, pretty similar. Tennessee was probably better for most of the season, but obviously Texas wins that game, and Texas, both teams make it to the round of 32 in the NCAA tournament, and obviously that was Chris Beard's first year, mm. and one that was a little inconsistent, I think probably more consistent than a lot of people projected. I mean, what, Texas was a top-10 team preseason? I mean, a lot of those way too early stuff. They were they were top five. They were kind of one of the off-season champions last year with all the guys that they got in the transfer portal, but... I think uh, it's a, a matchup that should, between two teams that should be pretty comparable this year, top 15, top 20 teams. And I like the chance for Tennessee to, to be able to get a little bit of revenge. I mean, I remember Josiah talking after that game about how they really wanted to win that one uh, for Coach Barnes. And it'll be a little bit different. You know, it's not – that was you – know, the whole ordeal around that game was, you know, Rick Barnes returned to Austin first time. It's not going to – it'll be a storyline this year, but – it's not going to be the storyline for the game, which it kind of was last year, but a chance for Tennessee to get a little bit of revenge for Barnes. And uh, I would uh, two more things, I guess one, 
it's good that Tennessee gets a premier non-conference game at home, so I'm not complaining about it. But mm. it's just different when it's the SEC Big 12 Challenge and it's the middle of SEC play. And that's kind of what, to me, is disappointing about the schedule. And it's just the nature of college basketball scheduling because you play so many of these non-conference games early in the season. But Tennessee won't have the premier matchup at Thompson Bowling Arena until January. I mean, maybe if their SEC opener is a really good opponent and it's at home, it'll be at the end of December. But it just kind of sucks that you're going to be basically be two months into the season without a big-time matchup that gets Thompson Bowling Arena rocking. And then uh, I guess the second thing, or the last thing I would add, 100% that was a good shot Tennessee took at the end of the game. You let Josiah take that shot 10 times out of 10. Good play. One of the best plays I've seen Rick Barnes draw up at the end of the game. Can't complain about it. Great look. Josiah shot well at the end of that game. You take it 10 times out of 10. Okay. Um, I was writing about Tennessee guards in the backcourt um, yesterday on Sports Renaissance, man. And uh, one of the things I was looking at was just uh, I love Bart Torvik stuff and just kind of getting an idea of where he thinks the lineups will be and production is going to be. And it's going to be a very – he's expecting a very guard-heavy rotation um, into at Tennessee with – Polkerson gone um, with BHH at Louisville. Like it's, it's going to be interesting. Cause like from my perspective, I would guess right now Barnes will open with uh Plavsic at the five um, Kamwa at the four uh, Phillips at the three JJJ at the two and Vescovy at the one. Is that kind of how you think he'll start? I think he's going to start big and then progressively get smaller as the game goes on. He may, he may, I don't, I like the thought of start big and progressively get smaller. Mm. Euros, Olivier, starting front court, like mm. that just seems like such a Barnes, Barnes yes. move. Like that, going with what he's comfortable with, going with guys that know their job. Mm. But I think it would be Phillips who gets gets cut out of the starting lineup. Do in you really? Scenario. I just don't see how you're going to start Vescovy at point guard. I don't see how you're possibly, unless they add somebody or BJ Edwards just comes in and blows people away. I don't see Azekai Ziegler's not the starting point guard. Um, and just because, look at, I mean, look at how much better Vescovy was last year being able to play off-ball all the time than he yeah. was his first two years. And some of that is as simple as him just developing and him actually having a full offseason that he can be on campus. I mean, his freshman year he showed up in January, and then it was COVID year to next year, so he wasn't on campus. Uh, I don't want to discount what that did for his development, but I, I also think that the fact that he didn't have, he's not, to me, he's not a true uh, SEC point guard. He needs to be be able to play off the ball to be the most effective. And I don't see how how Tennessee uh, doesn't start him at two and doesn't keep or doesn't start Ziegler at point guard unless again unless they they pick up another point guard. But I think there's going to be a true point guard in that starting lineup. And I think that that I just think he very- worries. Barnes worries about the height there with his two guards. I don't know if he trusts starting right out of the gate with Vescovy and uh, Ziegler. I don't know. I'm terrified. Like. Ziegler starting would not surprise me, but it's just, I don't know. There's something about him off the bench, like first guard off the bench and just the energy that he brings immediately that, I don't know. I feel like you might lose some stuff with Ziegler if he's in the starting lineup versus the first guy up. Yeah. I mean, I completely get that. And you know, I, if when Tennessee, if Tyrese Hunter, that's the guy who, uh, another kind of connection mm-hmm. between Tennessee and Texas, chose Texas over Tennessee and Purdue to transfer from Iowa state. And to me, if you get a guy like that, yeah, that's what you do. You start him at point guard, and you bring mm. Ziegler off the bench. But to me, you don't have any other options. You don't have another 100% true point guard that you can trust on the roster. Yeah. And to me, that's far too big of a sacrifice to make, taking Ziegler out of the starting lineup just because of the energy and the juice that he can give you off the bench, which you're 100% right. It's a game changer. I think you probably do lose something 
if you don't have it. But uh, I, I still think uh, the lack of point guard depth uh, overrides uh, what you get from him coming off the bench. I think it's interesting, though, that they have uh, Bart Tarvik has um, key as the highest offensive usage guy um, on this roster this year, which, I mean, that's the – he is the biggest boomer bust guy that might make or break their March run and everything else. We're like that horrible three-point spell in the Michigan game and stuff like that where it's like – the difference with somebody like him and he like, will he earn that trust? You don't have to like fluctuate with the Powell and Bailey minutes and figure out who you're throwing out there where it's like, if key, if key being as old, being a veteran, being someone who has proved it uh, in at Indiana state of the couple of years that he can do it. But it's also like, he's going to play less. He's not playing 33 minutes. Like he was at Indiana state. He's going to have to, He's going to have to adjust. He's going to have to be off the bench. He's going to have to be a role guy. He's going to have to defend at a high level. That's one of the easiest ways to earn Barnes' trust is be a high-level defender on the wing. Um, I don't know. I think he's the most fascinating because I don't think he's a starter. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, But I also think a lot of when Tennessee gets bogged down because there are going to be games where their offense is going to struggle – it's going to be all eyes on him just getting them out of the mud and getting them uh, getting them going offensively because I think if teams have to worry about him, that opens up the Vescovy uh, backdoor cuts. That opens up Sakai Ziegler open. That opens uh, Triple J open in the corner. That opens a lot more for them that I, uh, I don't know. I'm just I'm very, very curious to see how he acclimates to a smaller role at a high major versus mid-major and how much Barnes trusts him out of the gate because he is the he might be the the engine that runs this whole offense. I completely agree. I mean, he to me he's the biggest X factor or the guy I'm most interested to see whenever in October when we start to mm. we get to start watching practice because I just don't I just don't know what to expect from him. You know, he has the big scoring numbers, he has the shooting percentages that have really fluctuated pretty widely year by year. And to me, I think the big question is is he athletic enough to create his own shot in the SEC like he was in a Missouri Valley Conference? I think that's what Indiana State plays in. I believe it, Yeah, I mean, it, it's a completely different question, and he was able hmm. to do it, and that's one of the things that made him such an effective player in Indiana State, but it's a whole other ball game when you're asking someone to do that in the SEC. And look, go back and look at James Daniels in that 2018, 2017-18 uh, season, I guess the first one that – Tennessee really took a step forward. He's the leading scorer in the country at Howard. And, and look, I thought he was a nice piece on that Tennessee team. I think I probably thought he was better than, than most people did. But he couldn't create his own shot. He offensively was basically a spot-up three-point shooter is what he was reduced to. And I think it's just it's just hard to know how those guys project at the next – or I guess at, not the next level, but at a higher level. And I think the one thing that you made a good point of, of you're not thinking about – He's not. It's not going to be. You don't think it's going to be a Victor Bailey, Justin Powell situation. Of game by game, you don't even know who's going to be getting the minutes. You, you think it's going to be him, but at the same time, I, I, that that was my first thought too. But I don't even know if that's necessarily the case because you do have Jermaine Mayshack who you mentioned. The first thing you can do to earn Coach Barnes's trust is to play really good defense. And you know, Mayshack's going to he's going to have yeah. on the defensive end. He's going to be bought into that, and he's a guy to, uh, with a strong offseason. I think could make a jump and earn those type of minutes. So he's got it's going to be interesting. He has the size. He has the athleticism. If he can really just gain a little bit of offensive confidence and a little bit to his offensive game, he's a guy that a hundred percent can help Tennessee in a role like that this year. So to me, that's fascinating. And I think you're right. I'm not sure there's another player, uh, 
maybe Julian Phillips just because he's a he's a five star freshman and yeah. we know those guys can fluctuate. But when you look at the year, I'm not sure there's a guy that ceiling and floor is more separated than than Keys is. What do you think is the most played five man lineup? I think it probably Olivier at the five, Phillips and Josiah at the four and three, Santi at the two, and then Ziegler at the point spot. Hmm. See, that's interesting. No key there. That's the whole thing. No key like, there. Does, does he close? Do we think he closes? He could. I mean, it, it's a it's a possibility. But to me, uh, I think those are the. And again, I think it's probably Phillips or, or Key. I think you're. It's you're. To me, I don't see any way that it's not Ziegler, Josiah, and Santi closing. And I have a hard time thinking it's not Olivier. Maybe Jonas Adu takes a really big step. Yeah. But I think what. Olivier gives you with that spacing and his rim protection, that combination is something that really nobody else on Tennessee's uh, roster can give you. And to me, maybe again, Phillips is a guy, like I said, like he, there's a, it's probably a big fluctuation between what his floor and what his ceiling is uh, this season. But uh, to me, uh, I think those, those other three guys, it's hard for me not to imagine that they're winning time more games than not. They're not going to be in the lineup. There you go. I mean, Bart Torvik has Tennessee as the number three team coming into the year. Like, number three. That's pretty wild. Just behind Baylor and Gonzaga. Yeah, I mean, that's some Baylor and Gonzaga. uh, We we talked about that 2021 Gonzaga team earlier. Both those teams all year were by far the best two teams. And in a rare thing where March Madness went in the way you expected, they met in the title. And then, obviously, they were, I believe, both one seeds last year. If not, Mm. maybe one of them was a two seed. But two of the best programs in the country the last three, five years. That's some uh, high praise for, for what uh, Bart thinks Tennessee has coming back. Yeah, no, I and it's just they're not going to play a lot of young guys. Like, I don't think DJ Jefferson and BJ Edwards are going to be a part of this rotation without injuries. Like, I think injuries is the only thing that gets them in this fold. And Phillips is like, when your only young guy that Barnes is going to turn to is a five-star freshman, that's a really, really good spot to be in, um, if that's it. Like, you're like, okay, well – if or I'll play a young guy if he's a five star, but like ultimately, like if he's a game changer, but everybody else is going to be a vet. Like this is going to be a very veteran. I know Barnes's system heavy lineup, and I think that matters come March. I mean, look at what North Carolina just did. A lot of dudes who knew the system, knew Hubert, knew Roy, and just been around each other for a long time. And these guys have been around each other for a long time now. So I think it's going to be it's going to be a very very good Tennessee team. I think they'll be better than actually what they were this past year. So. We shall see. Still a long offseason ahead. Uh, Ryan, what can the good folks check out from you over at uh, Rocky Top Insider with Rick Butler and everybody else? Yeah, so uh, a lot of stuff. Just recapping uh, the baseball season, uh, looking at some different news there. I guess the news today is that Ben Joyce's twin brother, uh, Zach, is uh, rejoining the Tennessee baseball program. He was a oh. commit uh, with Ben at a Walter State and I guess what was 2019. He had Tommy John surgery his last year at Walter State, decided to uh, hang it up for baseball and uh, but no he's been kind of working back towards that I think kind of been eyeing a return now for a couple months and you look you uh, you've probably seen him at some point walking around Lindsey Nelson Stadium it's not a very big ballpark but mm. you, you see him walking around the concourse and you're like why is Ben Joyce why is Ben Joyce here? I mean it's, <laughs> it's his twin brother he's the exact same size exact same build so uh, that's an interesting kind of storyline that uh, will be to watch next year but no plenty of stuff putting a bow on baseball season and then kind of some a little bit of stuff looking at, at the first week of basketball being back for their summer workouts and then obviously uh, updates on the football recruiting is that that world never ends keeps turning on and Tennessee misses out on a couple guys this week but uh, has their eyes turned to uh, what could be a couple more commits in the month or two 
There you go. There you go. Ryan, thank you as always. I greatly appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back next week. Yeah, can't wait to do it. All right, y'all, that'll do it for part two here on the Saturday, June 18th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Must Podcast. Thank you, as always, for making the Chase Must Podcast part of your daily listen wherever you get your podcasts. Um, but yeah, go check out all of our other great shows all across Blue Wire Pods, uh, all kinds of great stuff. Um, road tripping with Channing Fry and Richard Jefferson, for example, all kinds of great uh, programs across our awesome, growing, just uh just awesome network so go check all those out along with this podcast i greatly appreciate it thank you again for making the chase most podcast part of your daily listen uh make sure you check us out on youtube youtube.com slash chase most podcast like and subscribe our videos and all that good stuff share them out and uh, continue growing that channel really really good stuff over on youtube and that's getting bigger and bigger so check out our video content and all that good stuff over on youtube email me chase most podcast at gmail.com tweet at me at chase double underscore thomas on twitter and uh, like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash Chase Thomas Writer. Part three coming up. Garrett Chapman, 99 the game. Back in Atlanta. Coming up in just one second uh, for part three. But yeah, jam-packed Saturday for you guys. And uh, yeah. All right. Uncle Derek, how'd I do? Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.